everybody. This is No Chick Flick Moments, and I am your co-host, Remy. And I'm your other co-host, B. And this is our Supernatural Watchcast. Hello! Welcome Hello. back! Who are you? <laughs> you know me. I'm Remy. What year is this? <laughs> oh, God. I don't want to tell you that. <laughs> it's a far distant future in which we are six-ish months out from the Supernatural season 15 finale. And the ending that happened, yeah. <laughs> the ending that happened. And uh and now, as as promised, as we've long awaited, we are going to hop back to the beginning. We are going to start with episode one and we're just gonna roll. Yeah, here we are. I mean, it's not January, that's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't think that we put a date on it with our finale. I, I don't think that we said, like, you know, we, you know definitively when, when we were going to be back. We just said we were going to be back and, you know. Yeah. I feel like maybe we were like, oh, it'll be a couple weeks, but like <laughs> months. Yeah. I mean, 2021 has been a roller coaster. I I think I can speak for us both when I say that. Um. Yes. Yes. That is a fair assessment. Yeah, life, <laughs> like in the immortal words of Smash Mouth, the hits start coming and the hits <laughs> stop coming. Well, I I think that this was a good, well-needed recharge for us all, mm-hmm. and I'm very happy to be back. I am so, like, jazzed to get back into things and find a, a new rhythm for us talking about the show that we love. So yeah. I do think the break helped. I wouldn't say that the anger in me is out, but it is kind of back down to coals right now. It's these low burning embers. Cause there were still uh-huh. some things I saw in the pilot that especially with very recently, they've given some deleted scenes that come from the 15th season and just the callbacks they did to the pilot. And I'm like, you fuckers. Like, but that's as far as the anger goes. Now I can watch the show and I'm enjoying it again. So yeah, the break was necessary. Yeah. I would say that with the extras, it was kind of like, yeah, okay. Yeah. You know, you had, you had six months to think about it. And if you're going to double down on it, then that's cool. We're good. Yeah. We, this was- I, I do like the dead eyes that Jensen had as he was introducing. <laughs> and here are some deleted scenes. Like the fire is out in him too, but in a very different way. Yeah. I mean, this was that, that was what they were going to do from the beginning you know so mm-hmm. meh. yeah and you know what b i love you but i think that i might put this separate from like the rest of the episode because <laughs> because well we're not here to cast salt <laughs> <laughs> well i'm thinking about it we're not staying spoiler free where there's no way there's no way there's no way and like, we will try and be kind of vague when it comes to the 15th season, but, I mean, the pilot aired 15 fucking years ago. Uh-huh. Almost 16. We're not going to be spoiler-free. We're going to try our best to stay in the moment of the show, Yeah. but if we end up talking about something from season 7, from season 12, 
it's going to happen. So we'll try and preface it, but just if you are coming in and you have never watched Supernatural and you're like, oh, I'm going to watch along with them, you might get some tidbits that you weren't expecting. Yeah. Yeah. This is, I think that this is above all a meta podcast, a meta commentary on the series as a whole. So, um, so I feel good with that. Ignore what I said about cutting it. But, um, yeah, you know, this is kind of a new season of even our podcast um, going, you know, back to the beginning. Previously, we were, um, we've covered seasons 14 and 15 um, almost, you know, real time. So really, you know, you guys were watching along with us with that. And now going back to the beginning, we get to um, take the series as as a whole. So Yeah, use the benefit of hindsight. Right, right. And, you know, really get into it. So this might be your first episode. Um, if so, welcome to No Chocolate Moments. As we've said, this is not going to be spoiler free for Supernatural, but we are going to go through the the whole series. Um, and in hell, you know, we might even cover season 14 and 15 again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who knows? Because there is always so much to talk about with this show. Hmm. And like we said, when it comes to season 15, we'll try and keep it vague if we're going to talk about it. If we're going to get explicit, we'll say, spoiler, skip the next couple minutes. But all the rest of the seasons are kind of up for grabs. I'd, Just I'd say so. enter in your own caution. <laughs> but yeah, if, if this is your first episode, welcome. We're going to start with episode one. Yeah, and 327 episodes. We we hope that you have a comfortable seat. You have some <laughs> water and some snacks because we're going to be here a while. <laughs> and I wouldn't have it any other way. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited to do this with you, Remy. Okay, Remy, give us a breakdown of the pilot. Sure, sure. So this week we are covering season one, episode one, Pilot the title of the episode which is the pilot for eric kripke's baby supernatural mm-hmm. and god this man's psyche <laughs> this episode was written by eric kripke it was directed by david nutter a new addition to our <laughs> or a very old addition depending <laughs> on how you look at it and the original air date for this episode uh, was September 13th, 2005. Oh my god. Yep. I feel like, yeah, a ghost just passed me. <laughs> I didn't watch this live, so I don't have the full psychological trauma that comes with time passing with regards to the show, but that's still that's still quite a while ago. I was too busy watching Charm to care about Supernatural. (laughs) I couldn't watch Supernatural because I was so scared of, like, falling for a character that would die because I'd just been burned by Sirius Black dying in the fifth book. Uh Uh-huh. Spoilers for Harry Potter. (laughs) And I guess 16 years ago. My God. Okay. And so the synopsis of this episode reads... Um, uh, buckling guys. 
Two brothers, Sam and Dean Winchester, witness their mother's paranormal death as children and grow up trained to fight by a distraught father who wants nothing more than to hunt down the thing that killed his wife. Sam escapes to college to start a new normal life, but gets pulled back in after Dean shows up at his doorstep to tell him their father is missing. Following clues from an eerie phone message, the boys travel to a small town and encounter a vengeful spirit called the Woman in White, who then starts to hunt Sam. That's it. That's the episode. Good I'm recap. Like, yeah, do we even have to <laughs> recap it? There we go. <laughs> Holy crap. That was that was the elevator pitch. And that wasn't a synopsis. Yeah, I think I it's like it's like I feel like this was the um what do they do for pilots? They do like the table read, like Eric Kripke was just sending out his pilot script to all the different uh networks and they they just kind of kept this for the episode synopsis. And it was the yeah. it was the cover page. I mean, we'll get into it. There's a couple scenes where he said that he rewrote them easily 20 times. And like the initial premise of the show was going to be journalists traveling across the country solving these crimes of mm-hmm. paranormal nature and just sort of the evolution of the idea to what we see. And then, my God, where they start and where they go with it, it's it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So, B, where where do we start? Yeah, as that synopsis indicated, we're going to start with an obligatory flashback to Lawrence, Kansas in 1983, where it all began. We see Mary bringing a young Dean in to say goodnight to his baby brother, Sam, and John asking Dean about football. We see lots of sports and cars decor... And not too long later, Mary wakes up to the baby monitor going off and discovers that she's alone in bed. And then she goes to check on Sam. Uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, when he comes into the nursery for the first time, that dad voice, hey, bud. Oh, hey, slugger. Yeah. You want to go toss the ball ball around yet? (laughs) Is he performing sports yet? (laughs) <laughs> Get, tenderly give the baby a kiss tenderly give your wife a kiss it's just one big happy family yeah and we get little hints like he's wearing a u.s marines shirt so okay that's the history we're going with him mm-hmm. and i found it very interesting i mean writing wise okay i see why you did it but it's also interesting that you'll have mary in bed alone waking up to the monitor and when she goes to check on sam she thinks she sees john in there but it's when she goes downstairs she realizes john's asleep in a lazy boy chair right right and the man at the crib was not john who is watching mash or whatever it is (laughs) I I wish it was MASH, but it seems straight up like he's like, let's have some PTSD on the TV right now. <laughs> she He's watching soldiers running out of a trench, like Right. <laughs> right. She she has this horrible realization. She dashes upstairs and then we cut away and back to John when he wakes to hear Mary scream. Yes. And I found this to be a really effective way of setting up the horror that they wanted to do with the show, like having the shadow looming over the crib. And she asks 
if it's John and we just get a shh out right. from the stranger and lights flickering in the hallway. It's all telling us what type of show it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't, you know, I was, I was really kind of like looking at it, trying to, trying to think like, how did this age, how, how, how are we, how does this hold up? How's it doing? Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the great things about the early seasons of Supernatural is that it hit its genre really well. It does hit that horror. It does hit that like campy. I mean, it's kind of campy, not near as yeah. campy as later seasons, of course. But, <laughs> um, uh, but uh, you know, it does when it wants to. It, it it builds up that um that tension and the effects are very dark and grim. So, mm-hmm. it's pulling from the horror genre in a really fresh, effective way for television, right? But it's also interesting, having watched the full series, seeing the way that sort of the rhythm, the cadence of dialogue and also what tropes they lean on, how it really evolves and changes. Because, you know, they can't do 300 episodes of the man looming over the crib. Mm -hmm. You were going to become very genre savvy very quickly. So it's really a testament to the show that it not only mined these roots really effectively, set itself down with a good foundation, but that it also kept evolving as the show went on. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, so John hears the blood-curdling scream of his wife. He runs up, sees the sun is fine. You know, Sam's in the crib. His hair has changed three times, depending on the child actor. And, like, John's just fine. He's like, oh, I see a baby. I'm happy. (laughs) Yeah, I see a baby. Who? I know, I know. When he runs in the nursery, he's like, "Okay, Sam's here. Uh, let's have a, you know a tender, a tender moment." Like, d- completely forgets that Mary, you know, what called him upstairs to begin with. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's reaching out to the baby, and then he feels this patter happening on the back of his hand, and look, it's blood. And when he stares up at the ceiling, there's his wife bleeding from the belly, and then boom, there's a fire. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Before I even watched Supernatural, this was quite a few years ago because um, Uptown Funk had just come out with Bruno Mars and people were memeing it on the internet. And I just saw the picture of John on the ground and his wife up on the ceiling. And it was just too hot, hot damn called the police and the firemen. Oh my God. And then God. when I watched the show for the first time and I saw it, I'm like, Oh, that's where the memes from. Oh my God. I did not know who this man was. Oh no. But the legacy of that meme is I think of it every time Mary's dying on the ceiling and it really <laughs> takes the horror out of it for me. I start cackling again. Wow, that's a that's a lot of Bruno Mars. Every time you see that particular every image, time. And you then know? like it's an earworm. I know it's an old earworm, but like it gets in there and I'm like, hot damn, call the police and the firemen. Fifteen years later they're still using that clip on the previously on. I mean Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, and every time, every time, I'm fucked. <laughs> I've been cursed, basically. <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah, fire, big fire, quick fire. And Dean is there, little four-year-old Dean. John immediately passes baby Sammy off to him, tells him to run outside, and he can't save Mary, so he goes and grabs the kids, and the house blows up. 
they apparently keep their spare kerosene tanks in the nursery. Um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> hoarding fuel, it can be kind of a... It, it's a yearless event. I think people like to do it. It seems like a John thing to do. Oh, my God. And, like, okay, here's where I immediately have my meta hat on. And I'm like, right in the first scene, we have John giving orders to Dean, Dean blindly following it, and, like, John sending his kids off on their own. Hopefully they save each other. He's going to stay here and focus on his wife. Yes, yes. Take your brother and run. Get him outside. Um, Dean, go. And that was a, um, a, I would say, a pivotal moment in Dean's life. And mm-hmm. um, for a different reason, that it was a pivotal moment in John's life. But yeah, like the meta level of of, um, I never thought of it like John needing to be with Mary over protecting the, his children. Mm-hmm. That prioritization. I think of this moment really like um, in the first Thor movie, how they mention once that he likes Pop Tarts, and then it becomes <laughs> like a character trope for him in the fandom. Like he mentions one food, and then that's the only food he likes. I feel like even if this show wasn't 15 years long, that moment would become like one of those tidbits that the fandom could mine and really get meta into. And then seeing that get reflected in the show as it goes on throughout the years is really fascinating too. Because what could just be a character choice in the moment or Kripke goes, uh, and then this happens... All of a sudden, you're like, holy shit, it's foundational to what plays out from here. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. But we have fire personnel showing up to put out the blaze, and John is sitting there with his kids. He's got Sam in his arms and Dean leaning on him, and they're on the hood of the Impala looking for Lorne. And, you know, the drama, though, is that that mourning hardens in John into something determined dark and determined i would say yeah yeah we're gonna find out in info dumps this episode and then (laughs) through character dumps throughout this season and then be title card but not any title card a silent title card and i'm like this is the thing that dates it (laughs) i saw that and i was like oh you don't have your flashy rigamajigs yet for this show you haven't figured yourself out i was like this makes it feel old but like yes you know i i actually got like shivers to see that silent title card the supernatural flash across the screen the vintage yes and it was very like oh my gosh it was like at the same time nostalgic and creepy but not chilling I don't know. It was weird. It made me, it made me as someone who, um, I would say, you know, got really invested in it in the later seasons and carried it through to the end of the series. It was very throwback and it was very Mm -hmm. like, this is not like, you're not in Kansas anymore, Remy. (laughs) You're seeing the roots of the show again. What it set out thinking it was. Mm -hmm. 
And it's just very interesting to juxtapose that with, again, how it evolves as time goes on. Right. But it was chilling in a good way. Again, like like to the genre. I think that, yeah. again, it hit its, its intended genre very well. Yeah. They're so. definitely saying they're a horror show in the first episode. I liked it. Mm-hmm. So we cut to Stanford in the present day. It's Halloween. And we meet... This girlfriend, Jess, who is coaxing Sam, now grown up, to hurry up to a Halloween party. And Sam is refusing to dress for it, says he doesn't like it. And at the party, we learn Sam has taken his LSAT and he's getting an interview for a law school here in California. A law student, a nurse, and a drunk zombie walk into a bar. (laughs) I've heard this one before. I'm, again, I'm like... God, they're young. (laughs) Yes. He has bangs. He has short hair. We cannot see how large his forehead is yet. He's a baby. He, yes, this is, you know, seeing Sam. I don't think that it hit me until Dean entered this He's such a baby. (laughs) He's like way more baby. Um... I, I don't know if it's because I was familiar with Jared Padalecki um, as a younger actor, just in other series, or if I just feel like he, I don't know. I, I felt, I felt kind of like, okay, all right, here we are 2005. That's cool. And then when Dean comes in a couple scenes later, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> 2005. I'm like, they're so young and they have no idea what they're getting into. Man. And, oh, I mean, I'm going to have a lot to say about the fact that Sam is set up as our protagonist and the way that they're choosing to set him up is just, again, fascinating. Like, we're going to make this man be a little bit of a snot, a little bit unlikable. Uh-huh. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Um, And it's going to... Oh man, it's gonna we're gonna we're gonna pop off B to see these whole first couple of seasons that are so, mm-hmm. you know, Sam centric and how that evolves. Yep. I'm like Kripke, you your self insert <laughs> is very <laughs> you you put him in the spotlight, but your Han Solo figure that you hate so much is definitely stealing the show. Well, well, so in this scene, we have Sam. Um, he is, and Sam, Jess, and a friend um, are having drinks at the bar. Uh, Jess is congratulating Sam or bragging on Sam for his uh, high score on the LSAT. And it's revealed that he has a interview for law school with Stanford, which would be, you know, as he says later in the episode, his future on a platter. Um, Mm -hmm. He has to nail this interview. He's, he's nervous about it. um, But he's, he's hopeful that this is going to be it. He's happy where he's at. Yeah. And Jess is affirming him too, saying that he'll get that full ride. And we get those famous last words of what would I do without you? Mm, Crash and burn. Yeah, but they're really setting up Sam to be very normal and pursuing, I would say, an average life. And I don't say that as a negative average, just 
he wants a good job. He wants the girl. And that's the future that he's chasing. Yeah. Yeah. So then we cut that night to Sam and Jess's and Sam wakes up to a noise and he sees a shadow approaching through his apartment. So he goes up to the intruder from behind. They get in a little fight showing off their real moves and Sam gets pinned to the ground and the light reveals his brother, Dean. This is this is the reveal moment for, you know, the new the new watcher because it's like this is not this is not just you know some college kid this uh he he knows what he's doing and yeah he gets pinned by dean and dean is just like hey sam what's up <laughs> immediately trying to show us this careless character but they both have you know physical skills that they can rely on mm-hmm and Dean, as like you said, I love that word careless because that is that is him, um, Dean's character in in this pilot episode. He is the charismatic, careless Han Solo um, to Sam's uh, Luke Skywalker. And he is ribbing Sam, you know, oh, you, you got you got a little rusty there. He's also a bit of a car salesman this episode, too. Like, he's trying to show how fun and carefree it would be to be back hunting together and really playing up that side, not only for the audience to be like, oh, they're so cool. Look at this life. How interesting. But also to Sam being like, hey, that life you want in Stanford, like, I'm sorry, I'm falling asleep just listening to you talk about it. Come do this (laughs) instead. Yep. Yep. You know, these, like, we're the only ones who know the real world. Mm -hmm. We're the only ones who can save the day. And, you know, isn't isn't this better than the normal life? Yeah. Living on the road, under the grid, off the grid, however you want to interpret it. Right. But yeah, Sam is wondering why Dean is here, you know? Why didn't you just call? And Dean drops this heartache of a line saying, if I had called, would you have picked up? Aww. Yeah. Which, again, with hindsight, becomes a lot deeper of a line than just how one-off it's thrown in this episode here. And I I wonder, so just gut check, um... If I had called, would you have picked up? Do you think that if he had called, Sam would have picked up? Or do you think that Dean was just too afraid to call and he should have? He could have. Gut check. I think that it's definitely Dean's fear Mm -hmm. that led to him not calling. More so than Sam's actual response. Like... Dean couldn't let a 1% chance that Sam would hang up on him play out. It was too high of odds to him, so he just could not make the call. I uh, I agree 100%. I think that him even even saying that, it revealed... I think that it said something, that the line wasn't, hey, you know, like, I've been calling, it's been two years, you don't want any part of this. Uh, mm-hmm. The line was, you know, he is projecting th- his own doubts and his own fears, and he he couldn't call, like you said. Yeah, and like talking about the phrasing, 
there's another line this episode where Dean essentially says, like, I left you alone for two years. Like, the way that it's phrased, it implies that Dean has thought about reaching out to him and chosen not to. Like, leaving Sam to his own devices was more critical than Dean's need to talk to his brother. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I I definitely also read that as, you know, he he was trying to do right by Sam, um, but always thinking about him, always, you know, wanting for his brother again. But he, mm-hmm. he you know, he put Sam above himself in that. Like, yeah, like prioritizing Sam needs over his own mm-hmm. so yeah like if we're just sitting here with the pilot again these are just one-off lines because we see very quickly that dean kind of coaxes sam into helping him here but it becomes with hindsight with the show we realize how big a step it really was for dean to reach out to sam in the first place yeah yeah but yeah um the light turns on Jess appears and Dean is complimenting her Smurf shirt. (laughs) He tries to excuse him and Sam from the room, but Sam refuses standing beside Jess. Yeah, yeah. Um, Anything you want to say, you can say in front of Jess. And I'm like, (laughs) when two minutes later, he dismisses her from the room Um, Mm -hmm. because no, actually, he doesn't want what Dean has to say to be said in front of Jess. I'm like, Sam, what did you expect? What did you think that they were going to talk about? Like, hi. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, Dean rightly assumes that she doesn't know anything about their life before. And he calls Sam out on it later. But in the moment, his intuition is like, no, I have to coach the language here and say, like, dad didn't come home. And... Sam interprets that as John is out drunk, working OT on a Miller time shift. Mm -hmm. And Dean has to, again, nudge and say, no, a hunting trip, Sam. Right, right. And then the penny drops. And then Sam and Dean, they find their privacy. And um, 15 years later... Sam's lecturing Dean voice is exactly the same as it was 15 years before. And I'm just like, I'm living. I'm living. Oh, my gosh. Because Sam is berating Dean all the way down the stairs. (laughs) And, like, info dumping again. Like, Kripke said it took him, like, 20 times to rewrite this scene. And even then, I'm like, man, you, you did exposition. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. So the info dump contains Sam scolding Dean, as you mentioned, that perfect voice. (laughs) Dad's always missing and he's fine. Sam has sworn he's done hunting, but Dean assures that it wasn't all bad. So Sam is regaling the audience with John's A-plus parenting when he gave Sam a gun at nine years old. And we're really cementing the thesis here, which is dad's obsession with killing all that they can find and do saving a lot of people is what Dean adds on to it. Yeah. And this is also the, you know, the, the show, right? This is the reveal that 
shouldn't be afraid of the dark. Of course you should be afraid of the dark. You know what's out there. This is supernatural. These are people who know about the world underneath. Mm-hmm. And you hear Sam saying he wanted the assurances that there was nothing under his bed and Dean countering being like, you know better. Like, you can't take comfort in those things. So there's this echo of... Dean believing that Sam is just taking comfort in sort of the false life and what he's going to quickly call it the apple pie life and Sam kind of staunchly saying that they should have never been involved in the dark in the first place. Well, well, you know what? I actually read a lot into the line where Dean says, so so really, you're just going to, what are you going to do? Live a normal apple pie life? Stick your head in the sand and pretend that, it, you know, what you know is out there isn't out there. And Sam mm-hmm. says, no, not a normal life, a safe life. And that's fair. And and I, I really liked that because... We, we see in a couple minutes when Sam is packing his bag, like he has the rune carved blade. He, ha- I assume he, he has, you know, put some protections over the house. Um, I, I read a lot into that to say like, I, you know, he knows, but he's not, um, seeking it out. Right, right. And, and I feel like from Dean, we get that sense of duty, that sense of cause and purpose. And, and um, you know, it was drilled into him that it is his responsibility to, to protect people who don't know these things. And, yes, and to be an active agent against these things. Right, right. While Sam, he is very clearly highlighting that is not John's motivation. John only cares about getting vengeance for for mm-hmm. Mary. And his, you know, just single-minded quest is no good for anybody. Sam is saying that it, you know, messed them up to, to start with. Um, but he recognized that it wasn't some righteous cause. It was just pure vengeance. Yes. And it's a contentious thought in the family, too, because yeah. he makes the point of bringing up their mother's opinion on this life. And Dean can't even engage in the conversation at the point. He walks out. He has yes. to change the subject. Yes. When, when, would mom want this for us? And yeah, Dean shuts down. Yeah. So so I I really liked this. I really liked that bit that um aspect of the conversation because I see, you know, I see Dean's motivations, I see John's motivations and I see Sam's motivations. And yeah. they're all very different. Yeah. And like they're spelled out very explicitly in that scene, but I think it was necessary because how else are they really going to put this thesis in when John is not an active character in this episode? Yeah. Oh, that's another thing that I'm going to love so much about these early couple of seasons. How um, John is a presence without being, you know, an actual acting presence in yeah. the show. Yeah, the shadow that looms over Sam and Dean the whole first season, especially. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So, yeah, they get to the trunk of the Impala. We get the shot of all the weapons inside. Dean left to go on his own hunt in New Orleans. 
and he gives over the case papers of what he knows that John possibly was looking into and where he thinks the last place their father was. Yeah. A a highway where 10 men have gone missing just disappeared over the last 20 years. He has some of the profiles of the men that have gone missing. Um, and John went to go check it out and then no contact for weeks. And yeah, uh, three that, weeks. Yep. And Dean says, that's bad enough. But then yesterday I got this voicemail. And the voicemail is very lacking in precise pronouns. John's just kind of like, something is happening. Be safe. <laughs> right. I'm like, bud, you couldn't drop a place, a person, a thing. <laughs> it, 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 we, we, I don't know. Just from, you know, even later in this episode where um, Dean and Sam actually do get their quote-unquote directions from from john and they say oh it's that same old ex-marine shit you know just just coordinates no names no numbers you know so a code that only we would understand i which I, is wild like as i'm hearing you say that it's making me think of them growing up and they're yeah. like oh yeah this crazy shit is normal yeah yeah I, you know, and, and, you know, later, way later, I don't know what season, but it's like, yeah, he would drop us in the woods and then we would just survive for a week. And I'm like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You guys didn't know about Child Protective Services yet. Like, <laughs> no one put that number in a piece of paper and slipped in your duffel bag. Like, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, everyone's fine. Yeah. Well, I think I think that this voicemail is a is pretty in character with the baseline level of John's paranoia and and subterfuge. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, like it never struck me until as we're talking. I'm like, oh yeah, this is a little bit bat shit. Like this is a little wild. But it's totally it's totally I'm I'm sure it's totally normal for them. It's not out of character at all. It's just how he operates. Yeah. yeah. And, like, I don't know how much we want to get into the alternate beginnings that Kripke had kind of imagined, where it was, like, John was this really abusive alcoholic, and he was more of the focus, or, like, I I can't even remember exactly if it was, like, he was dead or what the case was, but they had very different takes. I say they, I mean, Eric Kripke, you insane man from Ohio... (laughs) Just the different versions of John and what they settled on for the pilot and then how they built on him is just, again, wow, you guys did that and you didn't even think about it. And I think, I don't know, I think it's interesting because, um, you know, there were these archetypes that it's really all you have in a pilot episode, mm-hmm. you're just the framework of a certain archetype of character. And um, and I think that the evolution, even over this first series, is both the, the writers, like Eric, maybe steering in a different direction than he may have originally intended, and the network also guiding... Um, where, you know, how, how they want to see certain characters behave, Mm -hmm. um, and and be perceived. But I think that in this first episode, I think that John is not a sympathetic character and maybe he wasn't meant to be. 
No. I mean, they dropped a couple lines indicating that Sam thinks of him as an alcoholic. Yeah. And we see Sam painted as sort of the skeptic everyday man that the audience is supposed to connect to, whereas Dean is the glib car salesman that is trying to coerce the audience into joining this world the same way he's trying to coerce um, Sam into rejoining it. Mm -hmm. So these broad points that they use to get across a pilot become very foundational to the characters. And it's just, again, it's fascinating how they were like, Sam is going to be dismissive, skeptical, and our protagonist, and how they choose to move forward when they kind of paint themselves into a corner with that character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, fascinating. But, okay, so John leaves the very vague voicemail, and from it, Sam picks up on some EVP he recognizes that there's some sort of paranormal noises in the background. And when Dean confirms that's the case and he plays the tape, it's a woman's voice and it says, I can never go home. Yep. Boom. Here's our spooky hook. <laughs> and I wonder, you know, I, we can't dig into it too much because it's like, when would John have been like sending this voicemail and like why? And, you know, w within the context of like the greater arc of the show, like why is the lady and the woman in white like standing at his shoulder speaking into his phone as he's leaving this voicemail? Like, is he sleeping yeah. on the side of the road? What's happening? <laughs> yeah. Is this like a voicemail that... Dean slept on like oh this was in my other other burner phone and I didn't find it until just now because the impression that we find out very shortly is John bailed on this place quite a while ago like I, I won't say weeks ago but the food in his place was getting quite stale so mm -hmm. it was as I'm sitting here talking I'm like the time it would take Dean to drive from New Orleans to California I don't know what that is, a couple days, but that's probably how long it's been before. I'm like, they solved this case in a day, and he's probably <laughs> camped there a couple weeks. Again, I'm like, this episode like is a testament to how shitty John is at the job. Hey, Dean said three weeks. Uh, he'd been he'd been on the case for three weeks. So, hmm, John. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And then he's like, I'm just going to hot potato my way out of here. I'm going to leave behind all my research. I'm going to leave behind my journal, my jacket, my picture of me with my two sons. I'm like the only picture that we see John with his kids. I'm going to just leave that all behind. Like, again, cannot fathom this man. But Insane. something something is happening, B. I think it's serious. So, okay. yeah. A thing is happening at a place. <laughs> I'm going to go there, Dean, be careful at the end. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Father of the year. But now there's definitely something supernatural going on. Um, he hasn't just, you know, dicked off. Um, <laughs> so, so Sam is going to go with Dean and they're going to, um, you know, try to figure out what what's happened with John. Yeah. And yeah, Dean does his final pleading about how he's never bothered Sam for a thing except for this 
And we get that really heartbreaking line again when we think of Dean's character where I can't do this alone. And Sam says, yeah, you can. And Dean admits, no, I don't want to. Yeah. Again, we're getting these great thesis statements from the character and they don't even know it yet. (laughs) Wild. Wild. But yeah, Sam relents. He'll help him find it over the weekend here. But he's got to be back in California Monday, first thing for his interview. Deal? Deal. And then and then Sam's packing up his rune knife and a spare pair of shorts. And Jess is like, so, you okay? What? What's going on? Yeah. Like that family that you never talk about, like all of a sudden is here. And now you're not talking to me again? Like, yeah. I'm supposed to be the supportive girlfriend. You're not giving me much to support. But she does it anyways. Yes, she does. I mean, I mean, so so Sam and Jess are, are having a conversation. They're um I, I liked how Jess, you know, is played in this scene because she's trying to draw something out of Sam. Like, so is your dad okay? Hey, that's your brother, you know. Mm-hmm. Um are, you're gonna be gone for a few days. What about the interview? And Sam is just trying to hustle out the door. Um, It's interesting also how um, this kind of pivot that Sam has made. um, I don't know if he's just like determined to get it over with or if he's getting that like he's just falling back into old routines. Yeah. Well, and it's probably routine for him right now to get away from this type of conversation, you yeah. know, find the pivot point to remove himself from the subject. Yeah. So you could see he's not even giving it his full attention. He's focused on packing and these lies are just rolling off his tongue. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's fine. Just some, you know, family drama where he dad's, you know, probably camped out at the cabin. Um, we're just going to go bring him back. No big deal. Um, but, but, uh, Jess does, you know, catch him as he's trying to head out the door and say, Hey, no, are, are you okay? What's up? Um, yeah. but he, he just gives her kind of a hollow reassurance and says, bye. Yeah. And she's like a paper cutout. Yeah. Like, it's not an argument. It's not something that she's coming at with any fervency. It's just okay yep sure okay and then he gives her a kiss goodbye and is gone and it's it's again they don't paint a lot of depth onto jess's character because why she's in the narrative becomes readily apparent but at the same time it's important to note the fact that they didn't like it lends itself to the fact that sam had this ideal life that he essentially had to tuck away a sizable portion of himself from in order to live it. Yeah. Yeah. If I think that if Jess seems, you know, hollow in this scene, then I think that it serves as a foil to how hollow their entire relationship is. Yeah. And also the pursuit of this apple pie life, knowing yeah. what he knows. Yeah. Here, here, I really do get that sense of like, um, you know, Sam saying, no, I'm not just sticking my head in the Sam in the sand. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm still being smart. I'm still being aware. I, 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 I just don't 
I just don't want to pursue it. Um, but here he's by, by, I don't know. I don't know. By leaving Jess so much in the dark, it's not like, it's not healthy. Yeah. It's not really that she knows about the dangers and she can protect herself. It's Mm -hmm. he believes the danger travels with him and she's safe and fine. The end. Yeah. 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 Okay. So we're on the road to Jericho, California. There's this five mile stretch, as we mentioned, the road where it seems guys just are dying. And here comes one in question. This young dude on his cell phone talking to his girlfriend, Amy. She wants him to come over. He's like, no, it's too late. But I see a sexy hitchhiker. So, like, I'm going to hang up and deal with this. (laughs) Hey, car trouble? You need a ride home? Get on in. Mm Mm-hmm. And so this woman in white climbs in. The radio spritzing in and out. And she's saying in this very sultry way, like, take me home. And he's like, I see boobies. Let's do this. <laughs> Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. And she's very, like, lounging. She's doing this sexy, spooky thing that seems to be right to his tastes. Uh-huh. So he takes off and she's asking questions like, do you think I'm pretty? Will you come home with me? And he's like, hell fucking yeah. Yeah. So... Speeds off, pulls up to this dilapidated house, and she disappears from the car. When he gets out calling to her, um, he approaches the spooky front door. (laughs) And there's an excellent jump scare that they planned that day. It wasn't scripted, which I feel is a testament to this fucking show. Really? Yeah. They're like, hey, let's just do this. And then it works out better than anything they could have written. (laughs) <laughs> I'm I was too busy yelling, White boy, no! Why <laughs> Why are you doing this? Why are you approaching? Like when the woman disappears from your passenger seat and you're like, What what is this house? No yeah. you don't you don't live here. No one lives here. What like come on, tell me where you actually live. I still want to have sex. Come on. Yeah. It's John ignoring the blood curdling scream of his <laughs> wife to be like, Oh baby. And yeah. then this guy is just like Oh, a spooky house. But booby. Where's the booby? Gotta find the booby. <laughs> he gets out of the car, approaches the house, opens the door, gets startled by some crows, and it is just too much. That's his that's his nope moment. He runs back to the car and he takes off back down the road. Um, but he looks into the rear view mirror and the woman in white is in the back seat. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun. He loses his shit, loses control, drives through this sign for an abandoned bridge. When he stops, there is a focus outside the car and we see the big splash of blood hitting the windows inside. Mm-hmm. And then cut to Sam and Dean. Stop for gas at a wood-sided gas station. I was like, what century is this place from? (laughs) It's, you know, you know, California is a pretty big place. Did they build things exclusively out of wood? No, I actually like it. This is like... I do really like it. This is the supernatural aesthetic. This is like... This is, again, setting the foundations of what is this series about? What was what was Kripke's vision to traveling journalists chasing the story across rural America? 
I I do really like this building. It makes me think of like that last building in a horror movie where like the five partiers are trying to head out to the lake and they pull over for gas and there's the one guy outside with the glazed eye and he's like turn back <laughs> now and they're like dude that's wild and they keep driving like that's what this place is like hearkening for me so well it's that aesthetic. I yeah, that's definitely true. That's fair. That's fair. I think that was literally a scene in the cabin in the woods, but <laughs> I feel like that's what I was narrating. <laughs> that yeah, was... Everybody watch cabin in the woods. That's a good one. It is a really good one. Um, I, I think that I saw this scene as, um, as the introduction of the Americana, um, tone you know you've got the muscle car you got the rural america pumping up on gas put in a cassette tape and just drive yeah like my notes literally say this is the scene where my sanity cracks in half (laughs) tell me more tell me more okay because this scene is setting up a lot of things that are going to become foundational to their characters. Dean comes out with these snack foods, calling it breakfast. We learn about the credit card scams he's been using to fund the lifestyle. Dean makes a baseball reference. We find out that all of his music is on cassette tapes, a.k.a. mullet rock. And Driver cut, shuts his cake hole. The, all of that comes out here. And then when ACDC starts playing, I go insane. Like, I, I don't know if I can survive the rewatch because of this one fucking scene. <laughs> and like, okay. So, why does this make me insane? Kripke wrote in the classic Rotbick because he wanted to force the network's hand regarding the soundtrack for this show. He didn't want any alt-rock. Like, he didn't want woo-woo hippie shit. Like, he wanted the music taste that he loves. And so what did he do? He imbued them into Dean to force it on the show. And then it became foundational to Dean's tastes, which were, like, again, the show justifies it by saying it was his father's tastes. And so he's inheriting John's tastes and making it his own. And so, like, we have we have John, the father. We have the Chuck character. We have Kripke himself all dictating Dean's tastes onto Dean. And I'm just like, feral. I'm losing my fucking <laughs> mind if I think about that for too long. Well, you know, I think that even this, though, has evolved in a way because um, in this pilot episode, at least, uh, soundtrack-wise, um, I I think that if, if this is anybody imposing their music taste on on Dean's character, it's strictly Kripke himself because the tapes here are um, the tapes here that, that um, Sam is calling out as, like, the best of mullet rock um is motorhead metallica um radio oh my god what the fuck is the name of the it's not radio shack is a is a fucking you're thinking radiohead radiohead i said motorhead though is that the same thing 
Radiohead would not be in Dean's collection because that would be the anemic all rock shit that Kripke was losing. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it was, it was grungy. It wasn't classic rock. It was grunge rock was Mm -hmm. the bands that he was calling out. And it was 80s grunge rock, which was um, exactly what the, you know, rock guy music taste would be of a 30 year old who's writing yep. a, a show yep. in 2005 <laughs> yep. who doesn't like that alt shit you know yeah um and yeah right in this moment it's kripke dictating dean's taste mm-hmm. because again forcing the network's hands but then they use his taste and they justify it in show with character decisions and like yeah Again, I'm like, you didn't sit there and be like, Dean likes this. You're like, I'm choosing this for Dean because it's what I like. And I'm like, I I sit on a meta level and I'm like, Dean, my sweet child, how much of who you are has been dictated by other people. And I know it's writing and I know like ultimately (laughs) it's the writer's choice. So it doesn't matter what the writers choose. They are dictating to Dean. But at the same time, I'm like, just the levels, just the levels that they were like, Dean didn't pick up these tapes and start liking them for himself. His dad liked them, and then he started liking them. And I'm like, you could have done anything, but you did that, and you did that, and it made me crazy. <laughs> I'm fine. Okay, so what about the what about the added layer, like uh, season twelve, season thirteen, where it was uh, mayhaps not John's taste, but yep. uh, Mary's, yep, yep, Mary's yep. legacy we... that informed the whole well, and not evolution. even because we go to season 15 and we see the reveal for that so it becomes another layer still like this show with its levels of meta i could punch people <laughs> like it's great but at the same time i feel my bpm rising because of this stupid box of cassette tapes <laughs> Oh, man. Well, Sam gets his jab in over the fact that they're cassette tapes to begin with. Um, But, you know, we put in the ACDC and we roll. And how can you say no to that? Well. Oh, my God. (laughs) No. Okay. The only reason why I'm making that noise and spoilers, that season 15 deleted scene. Oh, when they're well. doing callbacks and I'm like, stop it, stop it, stop it. You have evolved and you have forgotten that you have evolved. But that's it. Well, yeah, I mean, the finale of season 15 was, um, you know, we could do an entire episode just drawing yeah. the parallels back to episode one. But episode one, you know, the fact that the fact that they use the finale as an excuse just to rehash episode one that's their that's their deal that's i don't care yes. about that I, episode I, one I struggle is, i still struggle with that here now episode one being the pilot episode it is you know i'm just gonna say it, it is iconic it is foundational it is mm-hmm. There, there is a reason that you know I have seen literally every moment of this episode gift three hundred different ways. Mm-hmm. It's a fantastic start. It's a fantastic primer 
for mm-hmm. the rest of the show. I just am sad that I have a retroactive lens on top of it that I'm still fighting against. I'm like, I don't want to think of you. Like, the faster I can scrub certain things from my memory, the better and better this episode will become again. Right, right. Yeah. It's it, it it's just, it's crazy how, like, these were the first steps in the whole journey. Yeah. And, um... And even so, I feel like there is that thread that goes like that you can that you can carry through, you know. Yeah. But but at the same time, it was an evolution, a real evolution. Yeah. And that's what makes it fascinating. It's like, here's the foundation. Here's the little seed of an idea. And then seeing the show figure itself out over the years is what makes it so fascinating definitely yeah and i'm sure you know we'll say that another three times in this episode alone but (laughs) this season and next season like there's a lot there's a lot that with hindsight you realize is pretty important yeah yep yep they do take off to acdc and it is fun they drive to that closed bridge and there's a bunch of cops about the crime scene. And here we see Dean fishing through a box of photo IDs. He's picking out the federal marshal ones. And they go trotting up to the cops discussing what happened here. Yes. And Dean, you know, puts on that car salesman mask again and mm-hmm. it's so it's so funny um to watch or not not funny but interesting mm-hmm. um because the way that dean directs the conversation is really interesting to watch and i wonder how much of it was intentional and how much of it was like jensen playing the character correctly you know mm-hmm. he's like you're here to fake this thing and get them to if not believe you then reveal what you want them to without them even you know meaning to yeah like he's practiced enough that he doesn't seem like he's going in with any sort of plan he just Mm -hmm. is going to rely on instinct and like you say get in and get out with the information yep yep and there he puts on the confidence. He's like, so tell me about this. Oh, you think I look too young to be Marshall? Oh, that's really flattering. So what about that? And yeah. here, let me show you my badge over here while I look this way. So you're not looking at that. You're looking at me. And and there are just certain ways. It's so interesting how he oscillates between like laying on the charm and then getting firm with like, here, I'm misdirecting with me being quippy. But then when I have my question... Um, I'm going to just like slip it in there and say like, oh yeah, and that. Yeah. Yeah. It is really interesting to see a character pulling that off. Like this really feels like the introduction into their world. Like we've been told it, but now we're seeing it in action and they're uh, proposing it in this really enticing way. Mm Mm-hmm. And here is Dean executing it so flawlessly, um, but Sam is still kind of the audience um, uh, stand-in who is both, like, disbelieving, like, are you really doing this? And also still the um, 
um <laughs> like oh this is wrong oh no like the victorian maid like yeah oh, how could you He's wringing his handkerchief and <laughs> kind of shooting Dean in the foot here. Like, they mm-hmm. fall into some brotherly bickering that sets off some alarm bells for the cops. Right. But as soon as Dean sees that, um, he's like, oh, time to go. Bye. <laughs> yep. Throws he an is. X-Files line out there. They're bantering as they go. And they've gleaned enough from this conversation to know their next lead is to talk to the deceased guy's girlfriend, Amy. And they find where she's going to be downtown putting up posters and immediately strike up a conversation with her. Yeah. Oh, one thing, one other thing that um, I thought was interesting about about the bridge scene where the cops are investigating the car uh, that the... um, the boyfriend disappeared from you know we saw the kind of slasher horror movie you know blood splatter the the blood (laughs) yeah and and so he like this guy was mutilated in the car um but the 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 hook um from when dean was explaining the case earlier is that they all just disappear without a trace right so when the cops are examining this car they're like it's clean almost too clean i'm like yeah did 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 the ghost like clorox the bitch before before moving on like what happened like if you look at the windows of that car they're clean as well there's no blood splatter on them so Again, very mysterious, and we don't really see too much of that come with crime scenes in the future. I I wish they had just, you know, if they were going to go that route, I wish there was just, you know, continuity and consistency and just then, like... You're asking too much of Supernatural, baby! (laughs) Have him just disappear instead of putting in the gratuitous, like, slasher cut, you know cut to black scene but with the blood splatters aren't spooky <laughs> blood splatters are spooky and we're still a horror show at this point i know but then the, then just like have them have found mutilated bodies on the side of the road <laughs> oh okay we're asking too much of the show sweetie <laughs> whatever Eric was working on rewriting the info dump 20 times he was okay. fine with all the rest of the edits <laughs> So so now we're with Amy, who is the girlfriend, um, and she's putting up wanting wanted po- wanted posters, <laughs> missing posters, uh, downtown. I think and... I called them wanted posters. <laughs> <laughs> so you did it first. <laughs> I want this guy. Find him. <laughs> missing posters downtown, and um, Dean again just slips right in. He's like, "Hey, Amy, um." Uh, Kevin told us all about you. We're his his uncles. We're looking for him too. What do you know? Yeah. And she's like, that doesn't sound right. And he's like, here's why it is right. Anyways, tell us what you know. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, this is probably my favorite shot of the episode. And like, that's hard to say. But like, this scene, how it starts with them in light and then the camera goes behind the grate and it puts everything into silhouette. I just really like it for symbolism. Like, 
they've gone to this person who is living the normal life and then we're going to cut into a scene where it's getting into that gritty urban legend feel that I heard it from a friend of a friend of mine. Uh-huh. And I just really like the way the camera told that story as well. Ooh. It's meta. I no, no, and I agree with you. I mean, there's a lot. I think that one of the reasons why this show is so successful um in its first couple seasons is because like I said, like like I've said and like I'll continue to say, they just really nailed the production of it. Mm-hmm. And this the, aesthetic, this yeah. half in light, half in shadows plays out so much in this first pilot episode and it really gives a lot of meat on the bones for future episodes to glean from like we have a lot packed into this 43 minutes it's very fast paced it's very condensed and it gives a lot to work with yeah yeah and and I would agree with you to say like the both the the genre and the um the production value of this series is was a bit was a bit elevated for what you were getting off of like the wb um Mm -hmm. at the time yep so i like it yeah i really like this episode so yeah we transfer into that friend of a friend's story and we find out about this local legend a girl who was murdered on the road where the ghostly hitchhiking seems to be happening. So cue the library scene where Sam and Dean are looking up on one of those old CRTs <laughs> digging into the rumor. I'll, I'll pick my favorite example of this la- later, but, you know, um, there's a lot about the early seasons that also date the early seasons. And it's mm-hmm. it's so fun. It's so fun to go back and watch it. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like this library scene so they're looking at old old uh, articles and they are trying to search for um, the origin of this uh, urban legend that the girls divulged and <laughs> Dean is searching for you know murdered women murdered women on the highway violent death related to this highway and uh sam doesn't like the way that dean is doing things so he (laughs) kicks he he kicks him out he bullies his way into front of the computer and um uh, again both with the gassing up scene on the road and with this scene and even in the very first um apartment scene with sam and dean uh one thing that i think that this uh episode really lays down well is that brotherly dynamic yes yeah the bickering the slapping each other that whole element that is a lot of fun yes they nail it and um again in a way that you don't really see a lot of characters doing in tv shows like let's take sam and jess's um uh relationship for an example it seems kind of shallow and it's the fault of the writing and you know this is just episode one these these actors are new to the series jess is not really a impactful character 
um, to the series as a whole, but it's, you know, meant to be this big, deep relationship for them, but you don't really feel it, um, in the ways, in, in the way that you probably should. Um, the way that Jared and Jensen are playing Sam and Dean Winchester, uh, right off the bat, episode one, they, they click, that dynamic clicks. Yeah, and it gives the characters history. You feel a weight of years behind them, which really helps enrich the characters as well. Yeah. So they had something good here. They had something special in this pilot episode. Yeah, totally. They really cast well. So now Sam is at the computer, and he is looking not for violent murders on the highway, but um, a suicide. Mm-hmm. Maybe this ghost was born of a suicide. Yeah, because he says it just has to be violent deaths that cause spirits. So if we investigate a suicide, they actually come up with one hit, which is this woman named Constance Welsh. And she died after her two kids died in the bathtub at home. Her husband, Joe, survives them. Hopefully they can find him still and get more information into the case. Yep, yep. Um, I think that they say here that, you know, if, if, if John, if we're dealing with an eventual spirit here, then the first thing that John would do is burn the bones, but the article doesn't mention it. So, or is that later in the, that's later in the episode, but it's pretty soon, but it, it, what you're saying is like, they are very much their father's sons and they have an idea of the path he would follow and they just follow it intuitively. Like even if Sam's been out of the life for a couple of years, Mm -hmm. he's picking up on it again, like instinct. Mm -hmm. And, And now, and now we are trying to solve the mystery but also, you know, why did they come here? They came here to find, to follow and find John. So yeah. that's always there too. Exactly. They're digging to find their dad. But Sam is reminding us that they're on the clock. He has that Monday deadline. Um, they go out to the bridge where Constance jumped off. Um, and they get into a bit of a an argument about... This future, Dean sees Sam faking. And mm-hmm. Dean's just saying, no, you're you're one of us. You have a responsibility to our crusade, essentially. Mm-hmm. But that's where Sam is saying, you know, mom's gone. I don't even know what she looks like if it wasn't for pictures. And, like, he's very cold about the memory of their mother. And Dean reacts very violently to that. Yeah, yeah. Like, why are we doing this? I don't even know my mom. I mean, is this is this really worth it? And yeah, Dean, uh, Dean does have still those. Gosh, I don't know. It's it's hard to say. You know, this is another thing that is just the seed of what will grow into one of the defining one one of Dean's defining characteristics yeah. which is how much more Dean internalized um his father's memory of Mary and yes. how and how he himself having you know having his own memories of his mother and and actually experiencing that loss in a way that Sam has not 
um, how it has affected him. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and it's it's again just that little that little tasty nugget. Mm-hmm. Because we're going to see it play out, but like between Dean and Sam, Dean was the one who had some foundational memories of his mother. Mm-hmm. And so when John is building upon those memories, perfecting those memories, Dean has those things in his little baby brain that will latch onto it and ring true. Whereas Sam doesn't have any of that. So he just hears his father telling this perfect life that they no longer have. And he's like, cool, can't relate. That was never mine. So that really is playing out between them right now where Dean is very coldly saying, like, do not talk about our mother like that. And Sam's like, sorry, footage not found. Like, I don't have anything that connects me to her the way that you are connected to her. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 um, and before this, I think also, you know, John's influence on Sam versus on Dean, um, again, we're bringing up that fact that, um, Dean sees this as a duty, a crusade, a, a something valuable to do with his life. Right. Right. And it's a responsibility, uh, that they, that they do this. Um, but, I think that that is something that was, I think that that was Dean's takeaway from their Mm -hmm. upbringing where Sam is more eyes wide open seeing um, John's crusade for what it is and not some higher calling on what is right, but more just very focused on um, that, that revenge. Yeah. Like, Dean remembers the fear and the fire of that night, whereas Sam doesn't have any of those memories. So Mm -hmm. it's less immediate for him, and it gives him more space to say, that's John's vision for our life, but it's not my vision. Oh, and we also know that John, um, you know, put so much more on Dean than he ever did on Sam, or... Even mm-hmm. Dean protecting Sam from some of the things that John put on him. So just, you know, this is just the first glimpse in, in how their upbringing has shaped who they are. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And there's so much fodder there. <laughs> we can't do this every season one episode. Because we I know can't, that we but we're going to. We cannot. <laughs> But we will. But we will. <laughs> we mustn't. And we will. <laughs> well, okay. So while this tussle is 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 happening, it is um not resolved in the moment because surprise, there's a ghost on the bridge. Yeah, surprise spookums. We see Constance's ghost up on the edge of the bridge and stepping off the ledge. They go rushing to her. They look over the edge, can't find her. And lo and behold, behind them, the Impella starts up on its own. Dean has the keys in hand. (laughs) And cue them running away from the Impella, rushing at them. They both jump over the side of the bridge. Dean, a lot more committed than Sam. (laughs) (laughs) I would say, actually, you know what I read this as? Um, Dean just kind of yoloed it 
Yep. While Sam actually had a plan. <laughs> yeah. It's speaking to their characterizations right now, where Dean so. improvises and Sam kind of thinks ahead. Yeah. Instinct so, versus, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because Dean goes straight over the side, um, chancing it with the river below, and uh, Sam uh, jumps the edge, but... Uh, uh, catches himself um on the railing of the bridge before he falls into the water itself yeah yeah oh so, one other thing let me mm-hmm. just be like total fangirl gripe for a moment because like i know it's the pilot episode i know that this is totally unreasonable but when sam says dude who's driving your car i go absolutely feral because it's not your car dean it's the it's the car yeah it's the impala it's home it is the car who's got the car who's got even john's car like like who's driving dad's car Mm -hmm. they haven't figured out the mythology behind the car just yet I can't. It's not. Oh my god! And it's so striking when you get a volume of episodes behind it, where you're like, they just didn't know. They were like, "Cool car," yeah. because it's Kripke's vision, and he's like, "We need ACDC, and we need a cool car." <laughs> and then you, again, the testament to the show is how they've taken the seeds, all of these little facets of their characterization and then explored plumb those depths developed them and how contradictory and enriching it becomes with 327 episodes yeah and we've talked about we've talked about how enriching some of the seeds are here but one of the discordant notes was how baby isn't baby yet yeah And, like, in later seasons, Dean's very touchy about Sam driving the vehicle. And in here, it's just a given. Sam does it. And Sam drives it into into an entire building. (laughs) So, yeah. They reunite. Dean is covered in mud. He calls Constance a bitch. And it is time to ask what's next. So, let's go book a room since he smells (laughs) like a toilet, according to Sam. And we see the Bart Framian credit card that was mentioned earlier and the, uh, the motel receptionist gives him a look and says, Hey, you having some sort of family reunion that, uh, Herbert. I cannot believe you have Bart and Herbert. (laughs) Look, yes, that's what I have. Okay. Because (laughs) Dean has Hector. (laughs) And John has Bert. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> it's fine. It's the same guy. That's what I said. It's all fraud anyways. <laughs> so, right. Was it Hector or Herbert? Hector was the son. Nope, Herbert. So Herbert has the room <laughs> booked out for a whole month. So. Okay, yep. <laughs> yeah. Family reunion. Cut to Sam picking the lock on the motel door. Yep. That uh, belongs to John. Very obviously belongs to John. Those lovely murder conspiracy walls. <laughs> Just printouts everywhere. It's the red string conspiracy boards. There's a salt ring 
and rotten food that has been there for a while. So again, leading to our sketchy timeline here. And this is the only time I know of where they mentioned cat's eye shells being for protection. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like, um, I agree. Uh, you know, we had our staples that we leaned on, uh, that just became kind of the go-to for certain Mm -hmm. things. Silver for werewolves, beheading for vampires. But, uh, yeah, I think that season one, season two, they bring in a lot more, like, voodoo and wives' tale lore on just little everyday things like cat shells. Um, Yeah, they haven't pinned down, they haven't sharpened the lore into their known character beats just yet. Yeah, they don't yet have, um, the grenade launcher of iron bullets or whatever witch killing bullets uh-huh uh-huh uh, i'm like do you mean a gun <laughs> nope nope i mean i mean the spear of destiny that michael's lance kill a eldritch spawn you know yeah. you know how it goes yeah we got to get stronger MacGuffins as things go but <laughs> right now cat's eye shells yeah and printouts from your local library all the centennial highway victims and sam's connecting the dots about their dad's notes with welch as a woman in white and they go okay so the next thing he would do is go find her body her corpse and destroy it we don't know where the grave is but we can go ask the husband yep but first uh dean needs a bath so yeah And Sam starts to do, hey, you know, what I said was totally out of line, which, yeah. But Dean's stopping him right away. And he throws out our lovely name here. No chick flick moments. No chick flick moments. It's all good. He's saying, you know, it's already forgiven. Yeah, we don't need to talk about it. And again, we're getting foundational things here. Jerk and bitch exchange. (laughs) Yes, Okay, yes, I did give a little hurrah for our namesake being called out in this episode. Mm-hmm. It comes up in season 11, too, and I was, like, vindicated hearing <laughs> Dean be like, yeah, I like them. I'm like, oh, my boy. Anyways. So, Sam leaves a message with Jess, or he's hearing a message from her. I wasn't hey, this is clear. another thing. This is the this is the one that um I thought was funny. It was my oh ha moment that uh, really dated this episode, where Sam is listening to a voicemail uh, from Jess, just doing that kind of wistful like, oh, it's so good to hear your voice thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, you hear Jess's voicemail, and he's and she's saying. Hey, uh, Sam, it's, uh, 10.20 Saturday night. I just wanted to give you a call, tell you I miss you, baby. Anyways, when she had to date and timestamp for the voicemail, uh, in the voicemail from before phones had timestamps on their voicemails, Mm -hmm. uh, I was like, hey, you, you know what, Sam, though, you do rock that uh blackberry 
So. Oh my god. I know. There's so much where I'm like, this episode's timeless, and then I'm like, it's immediately circa 2005. <laughs> the soundtrack at the beginning of this episode, like the first 15 minutes, I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Them doing the whole guitar. <laughs> well, well, Sam is listening to a voicemail from Jess, just checking in. Um, and Dean is done with the shower. He is hungry. He's going out. He's going to grab a bite. Uh, Sam doesn't want anything. So he's staying put in the room. And as soon as Dean leaves the motel room, he is clocked by the same deputy and his partner that were at the bridge that Dean fleeced with his marshal, state marshal badges. They are there talking to the motel receptionist and the motel receptionist points out uh, good old Hector right away. Directly pointed at Dean. Mm-hmm. So Dean warns Sam with a quick phone call. He knows he's going to get arrested, but he's telling Sam to go take off. They'll reconvene again after. And 5-0. Yep, 5-0. Dean sasses his way through his arrest for, I guess, the credit card fraud plus, you know, the murder room that they're going to soon find. <laughs> They found the murder room, and Dean is officially a suspect. Uh, yeah. You got you got the faces of, of ten missing persons plastered on your wall. Do you know how bad this looks? And he's like, eh, do, do I, though? <laughs> yeah, you know, I was only, like, three years old when the first one went missing. So, yeah, I'm very key suspect here. Good job, guys. Mm-hmm. But, um... The cop knows his real name and he's asking about the older guy that works with him. And Dean is a little rattled by this because, you know, it's breaking through that glib instinct he's able to follow. And he's rattled even further when the cop throws down his father's journal and flips through it, landing on a page that has Dean's name and 35-111 in a big circle in Sharpie. Dean yep. is just somber staring at this note that John left. Yep. And the cop says, I'm not letting you go until you tell me what this means. So. Yeah. So poor Dean is stuck in place. But in the meantime, Sam just goes and takes off and finds Constance's husband He verifies that John had been by, and he's just fact-checking, so he's going over the same questions that John had. And what he's angling, what he's angling for is where Constance was buried. Yeah. And so he gets an idea that it's at the old family plot um, by where the house was, but it's not where Joe lives anymore. He moved because, you know, it's the place where his kids died. And he's never remarried, but he pauses when Sam asks if it was a happy marriage with Constance. Mm-hmm. But Sam has what he came for. He has the location of the grave and he starts to leave, but then he gets real self-righteous real quick. Yeah. And like having him 
bring up the woman in white, talk about it in this mythological way, but then use it as this spear that he kind of tosses at Joe, being like, were you ever unfaithful? Because women in white are created from unfaithful husbands, basically. Mm-hmm. And I just think of that, again, when we're talking about what they build on, what they get contradictory with. We see in future episodes that they're not as liberal bringing up kind of the urban legend or the folklore um, aspects of a lot of these cases to civilians. They tend to keep that to themselves or it's Mm -hmm. a big quandary to bring it up. Yeah. So so Sam is really pressing to confirm his, um, you know, their their theory on what um, flavor of paranormal they're dealing with here. Yeah. Because if it's Uh, a woman and wife, they go after men who are unfaithful. Right, right. And I thought that this was very interesting because it... It, it was a strange sort of pivot on Sam's characterization so far. You know, so far he's been trying to, he's been letting Dean take the lead. He has been discouraging or just like here because he has to be. And he's also a very sympathetic character. So this scene was um, con- contradictory to that or a pivot on that i don't know what was intentional and what wasn't in two different ways where here now sam has to you know chase that thread down to find john and he's on his own on it and i would say that he slips into the role pretty dang neatly Mm -hmm. Uh, i feel like it was also um pulling from maybe these legal roots because he almost feels like he's doing a cross-examination of a witness you know he's bringing forward the evidence and then being like so how does this apply to you Mm -hmm. and putting joe on his back foot to kind of admit brusquely that he's made mistakes but he refuses to believe constance would have killed her kids and it, it feels a little bit like a lawyerly Sam, a kind of cold and calculating move on his part to get what he needs. That's the other thing where, you know, up to this point, he has been a very sympathetic character, a very empathetic character, um, in contrast to, to Dean a little bit. Um, but here he is that cold calculating imprecise in going after the one thing that he needs and i think that that is something that is another one of those little kernels of characterization that blooms into something um more fundamental for sam as a character uh throughout the whole series it's very interesting because we have this this puppy dog that is a hunter when Mm -hmm. he needs to be. Yeah. That, you know, the scene from a writer's perspective was maybe we want to get the folklore, we want to get the backstory out for what this case is. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have Sam do it by approaching the adulterous man. But in doing so, they are creating this facet of Sam's character that is like, I can divorce myself from the situation, from my empathy, in order to do what needs to be done. 
Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I, I mean, I, you know, 2005 adulterous man or not, this was a hard scene to watch. I think. It was effective. Like the yeah. actor who's playing Joe is kind of, I've seen him in other things before. He's very good. And it was really neat to see these two play off of each other because that actor has so much gravitas. I wish I knew his name. And really giving Jared something to work off of to make yeah. this scene a lot deeper than just a confirmation of where Constance is and that she's a woman in white. Yeah. It was interesting to see, like we said, or, or like I said earlier, Dean taking point in all these things. Um, and, but I don't know, maybe, you know what, maybe I'm going back on that a little bit because maybe Dean was taking point, but Sam was always, you know, he was, he came in when he needed to, he slipped into those roles. He was supporting to a point. In the, in an empathetic way, though, because when mm-hmm. he was talking to Rachel and Amy, he was listening to them and like, oh, we were into pendants with the pentacle on it, satanic shit, you know? And he's like, no, like, that's actually protective. And like, what yeah. else have you... Like, he was connecting with the person, whereas in this scene, he has chosen initially to connect and then to pivot and attack. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So showing so. that the boy can do both. Mm-hmm. It was interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that scene quite a bit. But we cut back to the police station. Dean is still being questioned, but a 911 call comes in that pulls the sheriff out of the room. And Dean uses this opportunity alone to grab a paper clip from his dad's journal and use it to pick the handcuffs holding him to the desk. Yep. The smart boy here climbs up to the <laughs> roof and then climbs down into the alleyway and just bookers out of there, taking his father's journal with him. Yep. Finds the first uh, phone booth he can. Hello, 2005. Pay phones. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, and gives gives Sam a call. Yeah. Sam's driving the Impala. He whips out his cell phone, verifies that it's a woman in white, and that Dad left Jericho before finishing the case. Which, again, sloppy, John. Just sloppy. (laughs) Yeah, so this is... But this is what he's done right before he left town. He left a voicemail to Dean to say, hey, something's happening. Um, Be careful. But basically, like, come finish my job. That's going to be a running thread through the entire um, season one where they are just chasing his tail. And and he is directing them to to these cases. And so he he identified that there is something here but his priorities lie elsewhere he is not interested in helping the everyman he which is wild when you think of what dean was saying like saving people that's what we're doing and then here john's behavior flies in the face of that he doesn't actually care about the constance welch case he cares about the thing that he's got to go deal with that he can't drop a dime and tell his sons about. 
Exactly. Exactly. Wild. We're one episode in, Remy. (laughs) I know. I know. Again, such a great episode because of all of those little seeds that have been planted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But so 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 John, um, the the code the thirty five one eleven that John left for Dean in his journal, uh, at the motel, uh, it is coordinates. Yeah, Sam's surprised to find that the journal was left behind. But he almost doesn't have a moment to process beyond that because there is a woman in the road ahead of him. And although he slams on the brakes, he drives through her and then finds out that it's Constance who now appears in the back seat and forces Sam to drive. Yeah. Again, take me home. Yeah. The doors lock. The car takes off without his input and it's heading back to that abandoned house and it parks out front. And here we get into some unfortunate consent (laughs) issues because Constance only kills unfaithful men and Sam's sitting there being like, no, 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 don't kiss me. This is not, I'm not unfaithful. You can't kill me. And she's like, well, I'm going to make you unfaithful. And it's like, oh, great. Right. Constance, like that, the pigeon meme. Is this infidelity? (laughs) Eric Kripke. Is this sexy? And like, okay, the commentary. I don't know offhand who the other man with Eric that's commenting. But they're like, lucky Jared got to do this scene. And it's like, do you guys have no awareness like you're just looking at it from your writer's perspective and you're not going like oh episode one we're getting into funky consent issues with our characters because Mm -hmm. sam's sitting there unwilling and constance is forcing a kiss on him thereby unlocking her loophole where she gets to kill him yeah yeah they're they're again they're trying to do this like spooky sexy thing Mm, they miss the mark no. Many times, I will say, but this is just the first. Yep. We're going to see a running theme of just, whoops, all problematic. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, Sam realizes Constance is scared to go home, and she stabs his chest with her spooky fingers. <laughs> Dean appears with his gun ablazing, shoots out the window again. We're seeing no reverence towards the impala at this point. Not baby, not baby. <laughs> and it's also not logical. Like they lampshade it later, where Sam's like, "Really, you shot at her?" And he's like, "I don't know. It worked, didn't it?" But like, we don't have the lore yet of you know we could do iron bullets or salt uh-huh. rounds or these types of things. He's just shooting right. because apparently <laughs> scares a ghost. <laughs> hey, I saved your ass. Yeah, but it. <laughs> affords Sam the moment he needs to th- to to reach the keys, throw the car in gear and say, "You know what? I'm taking you home." And he rams the Impala through the porch into the house itself. Yep. Not baby, not yep. baby. 
we are parked in a living room now. <laughs> and Constance, now that she's inside, is confronted by her family photos and the consequences of her actions because she drowned her two children and their spirits appear as the power flickers and then drowned herself um to avoid confronting this reality and now she's here in it yeah water water everywhere yep it's pouring down the top of the stairs and her children do a lot of these like jaggedy traveling the way that she has as a spirit She's looking freaked. The kids hug her and there's some real nightmare fuel that appears on the screen as they all disappear into a puddle on the ground. That was definitely, I think that the, um, the intent was to visualize like Constance getting dragged to hell and in a very like horrific. I'm like, did the babies escort her there and then stop outside the gates of hell? Like, <laughs> bye, mom. This is your new play school. We're got to go. Like, I know, oof. right? Again, implications that are going I know, on yeah. here. Yeah, for sure. Woof. woof. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'll choose to believe that they were like hell imps taking on (laughs) the facade of her children which i will mention are like a whole ass uh five-year-old and like eight-year-old who supposedly drowned in the tub by themselves i don't want to sound like a murderer but there's actually a way that Depending on how you're sitting in the tub, like basically if someone grabs your feet and pulls you under, it will shock you into like taking a huge breath and drowning. Like even when you know it's coming, it can knock you out. So just because they're not babies, does I mean, I don't want to think about it in any deeper than that. Okay. <laughs> I'm not a murderer, I swear. <laughs> okay, B. All right. Your your FBI agent is going back no! through some some internet search history right no! now. It just freaks me out knowing that it's possible. I'm like, tuck your legs into the tub. If you are in a house with someone you <laughs> don't trust, make sure your legs are tucked into the tub. Oh my god. Okay. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry to pivot so hard, but you mentioned hell imps, this nightmare fuel. I'm feeling vulnerable. (laughs) But yeah, it could be like the manifestation of her guilt. Yeah, I just threw my head back laughing so hard I hit my head on the wall. Oh, no. (laughs) But no, I, yeah, I I think that this is really, I would want to read this as a manifestation of her guilt. Yeah. And we see later in the early seasons how spirits are treated and how they, in various ways, they, um their vengefulness is really just torturing themselves and others in the ways that they you know, torture themselves. Yeah. Like Sam's saying, violent deaths create vengeful spirits. Right, right. So I think that these are not the actual spirits of her children. I would I would um, choose to believe that these are. Uh, it, it's how she's manifesting, like, her passing on because she has resolved her unresolved business. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think as a more thought out explanation of this scene, that definitely makes sense. I do think that the writers were like, and then her two kids appear because... And drag her to hell. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's just how we roll on Supernatural. Um, so she's gone. Dean and Sam ruminate on her weakness and Dean jabs at Sam for scratching the car. If you screwed up my car, I'll, I'll kill you. I'm like, it's not your car, Dean. It's not your car yet. You don't get to claim it yet. <laughs> I know. It's so interesting how they start and then pivot and then pivot and pivot. It's so fun. Yeah. The drive home. Yep. Yep. Um, Sam, Dean's driving. Sam has a map out and is uh, mapping the coordinates that were left by John. So the next place that they have been directed to go is Blackwater Ridge, uh, Colorado. Yep, some 600 miles away. Yep, if we go all night, we could be there by morning. But... Yeah, he's so gung-ho. And yeah. Sam's just reluctantly reminding him about the interview, like, the morning that they're arriving back in California. Exactly, exactly. My interview is like 10 hours from now. No, Dean, I I have to go home. Yeah. And, yeah. And again, you just see it, you feel it in Dean that it's, again, just hearkening to that, like, yeah, I, I could go alone, but I don't want to. I want my brother by my side. Yeah. And Jensen playing it really well, that disappointment and, like, Taking it to an internal level, but not trying to show that. Just, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll take you home to Jess. Yeah, and it's a little glimpse into maybe how Dean has been internalizing these things over the last two years, you know? He's hurting, but it's for Sam, so. Yeah. And, like, when Sam's getting dropped off, it's... I see him reflecting on that a little bit too because he is opening the door to dean saying you know when you find dad give me a call you know like yeah dean said he was too scared to call essentially and sam here as they are allegedly parting ways is no like you you can call that's okay yeah and who knows maybe we'll meet up later sure sure right right and yeah, Dean just making this one final call out to his brother saying that they make a hell of a team before he drives off. Yeah. And Sam goes inside the apartment. He's calling to Jess. He sees cookies that she's baked and laid out for him. And I didn't see the cookies. I didn't see the cookies. I'm like, this girl is doing this with her Sunday. That's the so one funny. after Halloween. Like, again. <laughs> She's the epitome. She's she's the yeah. perfection. She is a caricature of the ideal life. She is the Mary Winchester to Sam. Mm-hmm. To, yeah. To to John Sam Winchester. But not even like a real Mary. Just that perfect facade. Yeah. Yeah. The shower is running. So Sam goes into the bedroom, flops onto his back on the bed and just lets out this big sigh and hearkening back to that cradle scene with John we see some blood dripping down from the roof onto his face and he opens his eyes and he sees that it is just 
bursting into flame above him. Belly cut, same as Mary. Yeah. 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 And Dean barges in. He hauls Sam forcibly away to the outside. And we get a familiar scene with the firefighters. And Sam recklessly checking rounds in the trunk shotgun finalizing it with a we got work to do and slamming the trunk closed yeah and again the thing that called me um as hearkening to the beginning of the episode here now is there's a moment where they're both standing at the trunk and dean looks to sam and sam is quietly crying yeah but then he hardens and sucks it up and says no we've got work to do yeah end dun 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 did you know what day it is when um in the episode um this this day that um that Jess dies yes I believe it's October 29th no no, no, I'm sorry. No, other way. Oh no! Yeah, November third. November second. November second. Yeah, I would have. You know, I would have gotten there eventually. You the, did get there. there. <laughs> you did get there. November. November second. You know, I didn't think about that. Mm-hmm. And like, there's a deleted scene where Dean was driving away because I was like, how the hell did he come back to yeah. pull Sam out? And the deleted scene is Dean driving away and then he checks his watch and he realizes it's like three in the morning on November 2nd. And that's why he turns back around is because it's the anniversary of his mother's death. That would have been so good. I mean, they filmed it. Yeah, they filmed it. Oh, my gosh. I I feel like I feel like I knew that, but I didn't know that because um because because yeah of course in the present day we start this episode on Halloween mm-hmm. and then it's just over the weekend that they do the hunt yeah um, and uh as we find out later Mary died uh exactly six months after uh Sam's birth yeah so November second nineteen eighty three is when she passed away so then November second. 2005 yep. wow yep yep i just thought to bring that up because i didn't realize that the first couple times i watched it because i was dense like that but i'm like nope halloween they get pursued by constance on november 1st and then they drive home november 2nd and they get there late in or yeah 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 Yep, 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 yep. All right, yep, all yep, right, all right, yep, all right. Yep, we're building <laughs> mythos from day one. I know. I can't believe that they cut that. I think that, but then, but then again, it makes sense that they cut that because we don't know. Yeah, they we only didn't know, know fifteen yet. years later that we know. Yep. So it's one of those things that's like the 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 writer's vision straddles the line between like foreshadowing and seat of their pants. Well, I was going to say, like, it's just too smart for a casual viewer on episode one, you know? Yeah. Because, like, we don't know that yet. It's not It's not a thing yet. Yeah. But, oh, I would have loved to see it now, me, sitting here in 2020. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. 
but they didn't know that you know that the show was going to get so far oh god they had no idea they were like please <laughs> pick us up at the end <laughs> season two we love would it. love it but yeah that is the pilot dun 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 that that's the pilot episode yeah yeah we did good we did good b i mean there is a lot and we're going to keep hitting the same notes over and over i hope you know we enjoy them and we hope you enjoy them too we do i do think that you know episode one is a big one yes like I'm that's excited to daunting. See what the rest of- yeah. There's so much in it. It's so dense. It's so layered at the same time of just being fresh. It was really quick paced, especially when you see how the show evolves. Like they were just banter, banter, action, action, people moving. Everything was very flowing quickly because there was a lot to get done. Yeah. And there were certain points of exposition dump, but there was so much nuance to it, yeah. too. The whole thing wasn't exposition dump, so you could kind of uh-huh. forgive the ones that they had to rely on to get things out there. Right, right. This is very much... this is. It's so funny, because this is very much a pilot episode, um, which, you know, I've seen a lot of pilots in my life, but none of them hit so good, even... 15 years later. Truly, truly. It feels very fresh. And I remember watching this for the first time, like being very energized by it. And then Mm -hmm. I've also like forced various family members to watch it with me and like having the horror beats really hit for the horror disinclined members of my family, like, again, it's all very rewarding for the genre that they are selling to you from episode one. Yeah, definitely. Yep. Yep. So, so then, B, we're at the end of the first episode. We are. What? And what do we do at the end of the episode? We do final takeaways. Yeah. Remy, what's your final takeaway? Wow, I'm so glad you asked me. Yeah? <laughs> Actually, my final takeaway is the brother dynamic between Sam and Dean. Mm-hmm. That There's they... really good chemistry right off the bat. Exactly. That chemistry, that um, that brotherly dynamic, the way that um, Sam and Dean and Jensen and Jared playing off of each other really sell the history yes. and the tone um, of of the series in this first episode. I'm just like sold. sold. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting i mean considering that kripke was pitching this like buffy but without the women and with guns (laughs) and you're just like child what are you doing like it it could very easily have been less but our two leads are making it more yeah yeah, so for me, Jared and Jensen in this first episode, the way they just knock it out of the park, um, especially especially in regards to, again, that brotherly dynamic, how authentic it feels um, just in the bickering and the violence. And I have a younger brother, so... 
<laughs> Same here. Right. It, it's so it's so good and it's so right. And and I yeah, that's going to be my takeaway. Good choice. I think with you highlighting kind of the brother, I'm going to highlight the aesthetic that they went with with this episode. Mm-hmm. Like it was very stylized the way that they had figures in silhouette. They really did high contrast between shadow and light. And the camera work, keeping everything moving, keeping everything feeling like you had to be light on your feet with these characters in order to keep up. I thought it was a really engaging way of approaching the material and keeping it very vibrant and encouraging you to want to get caught up in its pace, in its motion. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, And a fun little drinking game would be like, go through the episode anytime that the characters are silhouetted or only half of their face is lit, like take a shot because it happens so frequently this episode it's really stylized. It it really stands apart and feels elevated. B, what are you trying to do making me want to watch the episode again for, like, the fourth time this month? Oh, I know. I'm like, if you look at the ratio, like, okay, the amount of times you watch episodes and you're like, the pilot keeps on fucking getting hit the most. And it's because you want to pick the show back up again. If you want to pick it up mm-hmm. from square one, this episode just invites you in. And it's like, come on, let's get going. Like, you want to hit play on the next button. Yeah. 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 The, again, the production value of this episode, I think, is is spot on. It's really good. Yeah. They really sold the concept and invited you to want to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. 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 All right. Well, then that's it. That's... <laughs> yeah. That was season one, episode one, pilot. That's the beginning of, you know, the rest of our lives, Be <laughs> Yeah, truly. The gray that will be in my hair by the time we hit season 13. I'm going to look so regal. I love it. <laughs> and I'm... And, I mean, I'm so happy to be back so yes this is a lot of fun thank you remy exactly we're gonna have a lot of fun Mm -hmm. so and we hope you guys had a lot of fun too that was episode one and next week yes uh we will be covering season one episode two wendigo I didn't know if I wanted to go Wendigo or Wendigo or like you know I'm like I don't even know if I want to say the name I don't know enough to be like is it disrespectful well (laughs) that might make next week a little difficult oh i'm like problematic palooza we're gonna start right away yeah Yeah, episode two when when digo so um so yeah we really hope that you guys enjoyed our chat today we had a lot of fun hope you had a lot of fun since it's been a while um i'm gonna run through really all that we have to offer um you can find us on tumblr twitter uh no chick flick pod 
you can find us at our website for all of our episodes and our trailers uh, at nochuckflickmoments.com or nochuckflickpodcast.com. Uh, we're hosted on Podbean, so you can search for us there. Uh, anywhere that you download your podcast, uh, subscribe, leave us a review. We super appreciate them. Uh, love to see you guys. Yes, that's really the way to gain an audience and to get um, get out there is just yeah. if you guys can take a couple 30 seconds to do a review or just to even like subscribe. It, it does wonders. Yeah, yeah. We're very excited to kick off this new spin on Notch of Quick Moments. So we will see you guys next week. See you guys. Bye. Oh, we didn't even mention the line. I was just going to college. It was dad that said if it, I was going to go, then I should stay gone. Like, oh talk God. about John Winchester. Truly, like, the, the, I was going to say the living legend, but. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid. <laughs>